As a municipal official, you are dedicated to your community. As your partner in municipal engineering and architecture, DLZ is dedicated to you. DLZ has been serving clients in Indiana for over a century. Our commitment to serve Hoosier cities and towns has resulted in long-term, repeat clients who expect nothing less than experience, quality, cost management, and attention to project schedules. DLZ offers full-service engineering design, permitting, and construction inspection for water, wastewater, stormwater, transportation, environmental, parks, and municipal and landscape architecture, all managed by highly skilled and experienced professionals located in five Indiana office locations. We are proud to serve as AIM's strategic partner for engineering and architecture. Contact us at 317-646-2288 or visit our website at dlz.com. This is Matt Greller, CEO of AIM. Welcome to the Hometown Innovations Podcast. Join us as we share ways our municipalities are positioning themselves for the future, thought-provoking interviews with state and local leaders, and more. Thanks for listening as we tell the municipal story. Welcome to this episode of AIM's Hometown Innovations Podcast. This is Chelsea Schneider with AIM, and today I am with the Environmental Resilience Institute at Indiana University, and I am with the director of the Institute, Janet McCabe, and the implementation manager, Andrea Webster, and we are talking all about the Institute and how it interacts with our cities and towns. So I wanted to start off the podcast just by asking Janet and Andrea, Give me an overview of what the Environmental Resilience Institute is and how you guys work with our cities and towns. Yeah, Chelsea, well, I'll start. And first of all, thank you for having us on. It's a great opportunity to get this information out to your members. So the Environmental Resilience Institute is about two years old. It was created by President McRobbie as part of the Grand Challenge, which is called Prepared for Environmental Change. And this is an effort that Indiana University has launched to help the state of Indiana and all the people and businesses in it be more resilient in the face of the environmental changes that we see happening happening around us. It's getting warmer. We're having more severe storms. We're having more flooding. We're having more mosquitoes with with diseases and ticks and that sort of thing. Um, So we know this is happening. Uh, We don't need to argue about, uh, about why it's happening. Um, We know it's happening and we want to help cities and towns be more resilient. So the Environmental Resilience Institute is a place at IU that brings together a diverse group of researchers and faculty and other people in all different kinds of areas of research and uh, development of of, um, approaches and communications because this is a very complicated societal problem. You need lawyers, you need scientists, you need you need communicators, you need visual artists, you need 
policy people, business people, you need all of these. So um, at, at the Institute, one of the things that we do is develop resources for specifically for cities and towns. Can you describe to me maybe a specific instance where you've gone into a Hoosier community and what that interaction has looked like between the Institute and the municipality? Andrea, you want to take that one? Sure, I can do that. Um, so as soon as the Institute launched, Janet and I got on the road and we started traveling around the state to meet with communities that were willing to open their doors to us and host us. So uh, the first place we went was Evansville, Indiana, and we met with, them, uh, with a few folks down there and we uh, eventually traveled uh, to Fort Wayne and to um, Oldenburg, Indiana and Gary, Indiana, all over the state. Um, and Oftentimes what happens is that we'll meet with these folks and first and foremost, we'll uh, introduce them to the Institute uh, and we'll tell them uh, about our resources. And what we're really interested to hear is what barriers they're encountering. So we're really curious to hear, um, you know, what's, in what areas are they having success and in what areas are they having experiencing challenges uh, as they're trying to prepare for climate change or accomplish other sustainability efforts. And so it's, those meetings are really fun because, you know, we sit down with folks that are working on this stuff day in and day out. Uh, and other times we're sitting down with folks who only have thought about it occasionally, have never done a lot with it. But eventually the conversation comes around to them sharing with us about the new solar panels that they've put on their wastewater treatment facility uh, or on their solid waste facility. This is what happened in Terre Haute, Indiana, with the mayor and the county commissioners there. Uh, and then, you know, and so they, they love to share the successes they've had and they're very open to listening to what resources we have to help them do even more. Uh, I think there's plenty of communities across the state that are struggling with resources, whether it be funding or staff capacity or even knowledge. Uh, and so we're really excited to meet with them and share with them what the Environmental Resilience Institute has to offer. One of the specific projects that IU offers that's been incredibly useful for cities is uh, what's known as the Indiana Sustainability Development Program, which is offered by our institute, but, but also by Sustain IU, which is Indiana University's sustainability office. Um, this is a program that provides externs, either undergraduates or graduates, who are studying sustainability or environmental science, provides externs to, to cities and towns either completely free or for a nominal contribution to do a project over the course of 10 weeks in the summer of, of that city's choosing. And so it's an incredibly successful program. And we've we had an extern in Gary and we've had them all over the state um, uh, doing all kinds of West Lafayette had an extern to look at recycling in their park system. Um, uh, Huntingburg had an excerpt. So it's like getting a full-time employee who has some grounding in these issues. And that's one of the things I, I want to make sure that, that the cities and towns know they can apply for. And that application period is open now uh, and then it closes December 13th. So um, folks can find that on the, uh, the ERI website or on the uh, SustainIU website. It's great. And coming off of the successes you've already had with Hoosier municipalities, the Institute's getting ready to launch this great other new tool, the Hoosier Resilience Index. So describe to me what the index is and how cities and towns will be able to benefit from it. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll start at a very high level, but Andrea is the one who's really been building this and she'll, she'll get into the details. So at a very high level, the idea of the Hoosier Resilience Index is to, to give cities and towns and county governments uh, across Indiana a way to get a sense of where their vulnerabilities are when it comes to the changes that are happening in our environment. Uh, and how ready are they for to deal with those changes in a way that will protect public health and safety and their economic vitality and the quality of life in, in their communities. Um, uh, and I'll just say before I hand it over to Andrea that uh, we didn't build this by ourselves. Um, we got a lot of input from cities and towns along the way um, to make sure that we were building something that would be useful to them. So Andrea, maybe you could describe a little bit more the structure and, and, and how cities and towns would actually use the index. Sure. So as Jana mentioned, this is a tool that's designed specifically for local governments in Indiana. So that includes all incorporated cities and towns uh, and county governments across the state. And so uh, the, sec the resilience index is divided into two sections. And so the first section uh, is a list and maps of vulnerability indicators. And so folks will be able to go to hri.eri.iu.edu starting November 12th, and they will be able to look at a map of their county or of their hometown specifically, uh, and they'll be able to see what the current number of high heat days they have per year, and then they'll be able to look at what are the expected number of high heat days per year that that town will experience by 2050. They'll be able to do the same for precipitation, uh, and so they'll start to get a sense of what the climate is going to look like uh, in just a few years, and they can start to use that information to plan and prepare. And then the vulnerability indicator section will also provide uh, a map in which anybody from, the in, in, anybody from the public and anybody working for a local government can go to the website and they can look at a map of their hometown or of their home county in Indiana, and they can see what how the land is being used currently, and we'll, there's an um, overlay that shows the flood lines of, of the floodplain, uh, and then you can also see what the social vulnerabilities are for that community. So you can see which parts of town uh, are maybe lower income than others, and, uh, and so if you start to think about the areas of town that are you know, low income that also are going to be experiencing a lot more flooding, uh, and maybe they also don't have a car. And so that's a part of your community that a local government can help make sure that that specific neighborhood is ready when those floods occur. And, and so we hope that that information will be really useful and help folks start to understand exactly what's going to be happening in their communities, and in some cases what's already happening in their communities. Uh, so that's part one. Uh, and, and part two is a readiness assessment. So this is a tool that allows local governments to uh, fill out essentially what is a survey to start to consider how ready they are for the impacts that are specific to their individual town. So for example, if there's a town that does not have a river running through it, they do not need to worry about river flooding. And so they don't need to be ready for river flooding. And so they won't see any questions in the survey related to river flooding. And, but, but they will most likely be susceptible to uh, surface level flooding, or sometimes referred to as flash flooding. Uh, and they are going to be susceptible to the increasing temperatures that we're seeing all across the state. And so this readiness assessment will outline specifically what a local government can do to lessen the impact 
of the increasing temperatures and the increasing and heavy precipitation events. So uh, we're hoping to make it very clear. I know that climate change is it's it's a big issue. It's hard to wrap your head around, but this tool will really help local governments understand the exact steps they can take to prepare. I should just emphasize too that um, it, it's called an index, which might imply that we're ranking cities and towns. We are not ranking cities and towns. Um, uh, the mayors and others that we talked to made it clear that, that that wasn't what they were looking for in terms of being helpful. Um, so this is really a self-assessment. Um, and and um, we think that, that cities, if they have the opportunity to work through these things on their own, it will, it will be a, um, an educating process for them. And they, uh, a, for a small town, um, there will only be a few people who will know all the answers to these questions. For a bigger city, uh, they might need to engage the local health department and the public works department and the planning department um, uh, to work through these worksheets. When you were building the tool, how did you choose what sort of data or what sort of metric to include in the tool? That's a really good question. So we're really lucky in Indiana because we have something called the Indiana Climate Change Impacts Assessment. This is a report that has been coordinated through Purdue University. It involves scientists from IU and Notre Dame and Purdue and all across Indiana. Um, and for the last couple of years, they have been releasing different reports about how our changing climate is, uh, is going to affect Indiana. So there's a chapter on public health. There's a chapter on transportation. There's a chapter on energy, recreation and tourism, forestry, all these sorts of things. Most states don't have this kind of in-depth information. And it's all based on actual data collected by our scientists here in Indiana. That those data form the basis of part one of the index that Andrea was describing. And the two key impacts on Indiana that we are seeing and will see are that it's going to get warmer. And in the south, it's going to get a lot more warm, um, more days. What we're talking about is more days that are very hot, above 95 degrees and hot nights too. Um, in the north, it, there won't be as many hot days, but there will be a lot more than there are now. So in all parts of the state, people need to be thinking about that because our communities have been designed and built for the climate that we have now. Um, so heat and then changes in precipitation. And what the science tells us is that uh, we're going to have a lot more precipitation in the winter and spring, and it's gonna come in more severe events, more extreme events. So we're gonna see more floods like we've seen up in uh, Northern Indiana, along the Ohio River, everybody has seen it, right? Um, uh, and it's gonna be drier in the summer and autumn, which is when we actually need the water. We don't need it as much in the winter and spring. We're blessed in Indiana with a lot of precipitation. So high heat and flooding, either street flooding, flash flooding, or flooding from because you live near a river. So those are the two impacts that the scientists say Indiana needs to worry about or the two changes. And from those changes, a lot of things flow. So if you have more high heat days, you need to worry about people's health and do you have cooling centers and, um, and do you need to change your landscaping practices because it's hotter and the plants that you plant are not used to that. With flooding, that's gonna have a lot of different impacts too. It could 
damaged infrastructure like roadways and bridges. It has public health implications as people's houses get flooded and then they get mold. It also, of course, is hugely disruptive and economically problematic. And you can have flooding, the big flood in Columbus, of course, shut the hospital down for months and months and Cummins, huge impacts there. So these are the most important things. We've designed these self-assessment worksheets around the kinds of impacts that flow from higher heat and more precipitation. On the ground level, city and town leaders are meeting. How are they going to use the index? You know, how do you hope that they tap into it during strategic planning and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Andrew, do you want to maybe talk about our beta testers and the experience that they had? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so we, this summer, we ran a beta test of the Hoosier Resilience Index to make sure it was going to be useful for local governments and that it would be ground tested by the intended users. And so we had two counties in Indiana and a city and a town, uh, and they used the tool. We provided them with the vulnerability indicators that Janet and I discussed earlier, uh, and then we provided them with the readiness assessment, the survey. Uh, and so, you know, they walked through these, th these steps and, you know, they looked at their uh, vulnerabilities and then what they can do with those vulnerabilities is then sit down at a meeting with, you know, the public works folks and the planning folks and the, even the codes and regulations folks uh, and the, the water treatment folks. Anybody that manages a system within a community should be at that table and they can sit down and they can look at the vulnerabilities that their community is expected to experience and they can have a discussion around their individual systems that they manage and how they are currently built to withstand the climate that we will be having uh, by 2050. And from there, they can start to decide, uh, okay, well, where are, the, where are our weaknesses and what do we need to address? And, and at that point, they walk through the readiness assessment. And just as Janet was saying, you know, the public works folks can go through the built environment section of the Hoosier Resilience Index and think about uh, how is our city currently built and how is it able to withstand the increasing temperatures and increasing precipitation events. Uh, and then the economic development folks can sit down and look at how those changes are going to impact their economy. And by the way, it's not all going to be negative. Some communities may see an increase in economic development as a result of climate change. And so, you know, this doesn't have to be completely dire as, as challenging as it may be. So, you know, and I can continue down that list, you know, emergency management folks can look at their, uh, their systems to make, their, make sure they're ready, the public health departments, uh, they can all take a look at these questions uh, and say, you know, am I, uh, for example, maintaining, restoring, and protecting wetlands in my community because wetlands are a great way to manage water when you're having increasing rain. And so I want to make sure that I have a sufficient amount of wetlands in my community. And so you can talk with the parks people, um, with la large landowners around town, uh, any nature preserves that exist within your community, uh, and have that conversation and, and think about how well you're protecting those wetlands. And, that, and the readiness assessment will walk you through that step by step. So it's very practical and it's very specific and it's based on experiences that other communities have had that have been um, uh, very proactive on these areas. So here's another example. Um, we all, I think we all know that 
having green spaces in communities is good. It's good on many levels. It's really good when you're thinking about being ready for climate change because trees cool uh, communities. Cities are on average five to six degrees warmer than non-urban areas because they catch the heat and hold it. So if, if you plant trees, it will be cooler. It, it's also better for flooding and drainage because you have this open space that can help absorb um, those floodwaters. Well, okay, um, what are the cities that have really done a great job about incorporating green space into their cities? How have they done it? What, what are the steps? You know, did they do an inventory of the trees that they already have? How did they figure out what species to, to plant? What did they need to ask developers when they're building something new to make sure to have X amount of open space and plant trees in it. These are all very practical ideas. And what we are hoping to do with this resource and others that we provide through the Institute is to, to have the cities in Indiana and towns not have to reinvent wheels. So if somebody has already done this and it's a comparable community, that's another feature of the, the products that we're providing is that we're focused on small to medium-sized Midwestern cities. What they're doing in Miami or Chicago or even Indianapolis, I think most of the local governments in Indiana, they just don't see those kinds of things as available to them. So we're trying to bring to them resources that are actually accessible to, to small towns. We have another um, resource available through the Institute called the Environmental Resilience Institute Toolkit, which we call ERIT for short, that's its acronym. And that's a resource where people can go and actually find case studies and examples of things that other communities have done. And it includes a lot of case studies from Indiana because that's where we're working. So for example, we have a case study on there about how Knox County, this is a county government, but um, adopted an ordinance to prohibit the planting of invasive species. So they did it. Somebody else can just copy that. You know, I'm all about copying good work that other people have done to get policies moving forward and, and learn from, from experiences that other people have had. We, we have a case study on there about a community that set up a bike share program, right? So just go do it the way they did it. And, and you can feel like um, you're, you're part of a group that's, that's doing these things successfully. So um, not reinventing the wheels having information that's specifically focused on small and, mid mid small and medium sized Midwestern communities um, are really our, our, our principles and our goals here. So when you talk about the index and all the information it's going to give cities and towns and communities across Indiana, is there gonna be kind of some sort of like wraparound assistance or maybe expert help for these communities you know, when they're looking to dive into the data? Right, um, that's a super good question. So um, uh, the day after the, this thing is released, which um, uh, will be November 12th. So on November 13th, we will hold our first webinar on it. Um, and then we're open to doing any other training opportunities. Um, I will say though, it's pretty straightforward. Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't walk people through it, but, but people shouldn't think that they need to have some expert come do this for them. It is specifically designed for, you're qualified to do this if you, if you work in a city government um, and you, then you get the right people together to answer the question. So um, it's not complicated to use. The web um, uh, site will be easy to use and the questions will not be hard.
but we'll make ourselves available, of course, to answer questions. And Andrea will probably be on the front lines of, uh, call Andrea if you have a problem. You know, knowing your vulnerabilities and your challenges and being able to identify those through the data or have a better understanding is so important. But a lot of times, you know, cities and towns struggle in terms of resources to implement the changes that they need to see in order to you know, have a more sustainable community, a community that's prepared for the changing climate. Do you all hope that there's an avenue through this data to start the conversation about additional funding or what are your thoughts about that? So cities and towns always need funding. Um, and unfortunately, Indiana University doesn't have money to just give them. Uh, we do have interns to give them um, through the program, uh, but, but not money. So I, I think the, one of the keys here is that a lot of things that cities and towns can do to make themselves more sustainable is in the context of work that they are already doing. So let me give you a, a particular example. Um, one of the effects of climate change is to exacerbate potholes because we have these erratic freezing and thawing cycles and the road materials that have been used are designed for our current climate so they are more easily damaged by this freezing of time. So if a city or town is repaving its roads, we want to make sure they have the information to know, hey, you might want to look into a paving material that is more um, uh, suitable for the coming climate. And so when you spend, maybe it costs a little bit more, but it saves you down the line from having to repave or fill potholes. Another example might be um, we have to repair our sewer system. Are our pipes going to be the right size for the floods that are coming? We want cities and towns to know that now so that they can build that in. So it might cost a little more. It might not cost a little bit more, uh, but they're just doing it um, as part of their routine work in a more informed way. There are other things that might seem like they're being done just specifically um, for uh, climate change or resilience, but they actually um, save money uh, significantly. Energy efficiency is a huge benefit to being more resilient. If you're using less energy, if you have a diverse energy supply, you have some local energy like solar or wind, uh, then you are more resilient, right? You have backups. Um, you, if, the, if the grid goes down, you've got your local power and you are saving money. So the mayor of North Vernon um, their, their city is almost entirely uh, run on solar energy and his power bill has gone down by thousands and thousands of dollars and he's very happy about that and he doesn't need to talk about it in terms of climate change he can talk about it in terms of uh, saving money for his community so uh, so so there are lots of advantages here there also are um, uh, opportunities for cities and towns to get funding through various uh, grants and opportunities from federal agencies and such. And one of the things we try to do through our ERIT website is to uh, make people aware of those funding opportunities. And I'll add to that too. I mean, in ERIT, uh, as Janet mentioned, there is a resource specifically that lists funding opportunities for preparing for climate change. Uh, but additionally, in the case studies, there's several projects that communities across the state have completed that have led to uh, an increase in funding. So uh, one very prime example is wind. And, and wind turbines have been controversial across the state, uh, 
and, and you know they're not right for every location but for those locations where you have a good wind resource and wind turbines could be beneficial uh, they, it, it's incredible how much funding that they provide. So, for example, uh, in our Environmental Resilience Institute Toolkit in ARIT, we have a case study on Benton County, Indiana. And over 10 years, they were able to allocate an additional $3 million to schools and $35 million to new roads and $31, $31 million in economic development in general. So that's a huge amount of funding. And, you know, and it's not just Benton County. I mean, White County, for example, um, they were able to to ha offer 500 jobs while the wind turbines were being constructed and 38 new jobs while the wind turbines were going up. And their economic development agreement with the wind, wind company resulted in $9 million uh, just in the first year or so. So that funding can be reallocated to help prepare the community for climate change. So, you know, it's not all about seeking out funding from other locations and other institutes or, you know, other um, agencies, it's possible to create that source of funding within your own community. Say that you're a city in, or town and you're listening to this podcast and this might be the first time you've heard about the Institute and the great work you all are doing. How do you become more involved with your all's organization? What's kind of the first step to that? Sure. Well, the first thing you can do is go to our website, which is eri.iu.edu. Um, and you can find information there about the, the toolkit that I just mentioned. Um, what you want to do if you're a local government is go to the button all the way over on the right side, which is called resources. Is that what it's called, Andrea? Prepare. Prepare. Go to prepare. And then there's a button. It says for local officials. And you'll get to all of our things. Now, um, in addition to the toolkit and the index, there's not a lot on the index up there now, but there will be um, after November 12th. Um, we also um, host a monthly webinar series for local officials. It's actually sponsored by AIM, um, which we really appreciate your support. Um, and that's just an hour, um, the second Wednesday of every month, on a topic related to one of these areas. Um, we get our topics from uh, suggestions from local governments and others. Um, and we usually have an expert on the topic, maybe from a university or a government agency. And then we try to have somebody from Indiana from a local community that's actually had experience with that particular topic. So we just had two webinars on what are the public health impacts of climate change and, and how can people prepare. But we've done them on uh, doing solar energy in your community, um, uh, um, river flooding, and, uh, and, and those are all archived also. So uh, one way people can engage is to go listen to webinars that are of interest. Uh, we, of course, maintain mailing lists. So if people want to get on the notice list for the webinars, they can do that. And what else do we have to offer, Andrea? Well, uh, coming up in 2020, uh, we have a resilience cohort. So in 2019, we completed our first resilience cohort. We had 14 communities across the state uh, from to as large as Fort Wayne down to as small as Oldenburg, Indiana, which is just outside of Batesville. Uh, and so these 14 communities worked on completing greenhouse gas inventories. Uh, and they did it together and they were able to lean on each other for support uh, to help solve problems. Uh, and we plan to do the same thing in 2020, except that this time the communities will be uh, looking at their greenhouse gas inventory results and trying to figure out what actions they can take to reduce emissions community-wide. And they'll put those, uh, those, those 
in specific initiatives into a plan called a climate action plan. Uh, and that way they'll have a roadmap for their individual community that works for them, that works for the people that live there uh, to try to reduce their emissions, which ultimately lead to all these other impacts we've been discussing over the past few, few minutes. So um, there's lots of ways for people to get information and they can also just send us an email. And one of the things about being located at a big, incredible university like IU is that if a city or town has a question um, and Andrea and I don't know the answer to it, we'll go find somebody who does. Um, and I, that could be somebody in at IU, it could be somebody at another university, it could be somebody we know, we say, oh, you know what, South Bend did that. So we'll put you in touch with the person in South Bend or Goshen or, or where, wherever. Um, so that that's it, it's a it's a tremendous resource and and I hope cities will and towns will, will take advantage of it. Well, great. Well, I really appreciate you all being on the podcast and sharing this information. It's definitely such a unique tool um, for our cities and towns. So thank you for your time, Janet and Andrea. Thanks, Chelsea. This has been great. This podcast has been sponsored by DLZ.